you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, everyone. This episode is all about the soul of a great restaurant. What makes it so? It's the passion for the food, the wine, the people, breaking bread with people of different cultures all coming together because of the love of food and that passion. I'm going to talk today with Mr. Hans Lutman. He is the director of hospitality and an owner partner in the San Julian Restaurant Group from Los Angeles. And they're doing wonderful things in the restaurant business with a restaurant called Rosso Blue. We're going to talk all about developing your people, leading by example, training, recognizing, nurturing, rewarding, and then getting out of their way. We're going to talk all about the tight financial controls that are necessary, that critical balance of inventory, food, beverage, and labor costs. We're going to talk about creating ambiance that brings the food and the service together in a comfortable environment that draws the customers in. We'll talk marketing and all the different aspects of running a really passionate operation because that's what this business is all about. It's about soul and passion, and I'm so happy to share this with you. I love talking shop with other operators. Hans and I were so like-minded that the passion just can't help but come through. So don't miss this episode. It's a big one. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I'd like to thank my friends at Bento Box for bringing you this episode. You know, I've always believed that a great restaurant website brings the restaurant experience to life for the guest before they walk in the door. So let me tell you about Bento Box. They build beautiful, mobile-friendly, and SEO-optimized websites specifically for restaurants. Best thing is, Bento Box gives you control. You can update menus, promote events, share press, and so much more all yourself. Bento Box also gives you tools that attract more customers, grow your business, and drive revenue. You can sell gift cards, merchandise, event tickets, even book private events, all with affordable monthly and annual plans. So you got to check out Bento Box. Here's the link, getbento.com forward slash rockstars. Thanks again to Bento Box. And now on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. Super excited today. I have Mr. Hans Lutman, and he is the Director of Hospitality for the San Julian Restaurant Group in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Hans. How are you today? I'm doing great, Roger. Thank you for having me, and it's, it's great to feel like a rock star today. Well, you are absolutely a rock star in so many ways. And I say that because, you know, we usually start out with someone's history, how they got into this business. And what I found particularly intriguing was you've had somewhat of a storied film career, and you're probably still to some extent involved in that. I know that you are a sound editor for Lucasfilm. You're also a screenwriter. And how do you mix hospitality with uh, the silver screen? That's a great question. You know, I've, um, I've been kind of, um, liberated um, from that work, although I do have um, uh, my hands in a couple of different projects. And and it's strange to actually say that I've been liberated from it because it was a passion and a dream of mine. But yeah. uh, that, that passion 
has uh, completely transferred over to uh, Rosso Blue Restaurant in downtown Los Angeles. I have two phenomenal partners, um, Chef Steve Sampson and uh, Dina Sampson, um, his wife and uh, my partner. And, um, you know, just joining that tribe, uh, just something clicked. And um, I know exactly what that was. And, and then we were off to the races. And, and, and it's been just an amazing project. Now, it started for you at age 15. So you went to work for a restaurant way back in the day. And what was that position? Where was that? What were you doing? Well, like you, I, I think, I, you know, hey, you're starting a dish pit, right? You know, I did. I just, yeah, right. exactly. Right. I, 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 started, I started at a little local um, cafe. It was called the Cozy Cafe. It was owned by the Ristich family in my hometown of Plymouth, Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, they were a Greek family. They were... Uh, I mean, you could just feel the family in the restaurant. Uh, it was a sweet little place, and I just needed a, a summer gig, and I, and I got the job, and I, I uh, would clean the bakery and, and uh, wash the dishes, and, and I got promoted to uh, being a, a busboy by the end of the summer. There you go. Yeah. I mean, if we go way, way, way back, when I was in high school, I started out in the dish pit, like I said, at this country club. And within a few months, they made me a bartender. And I made so much more money bartending. Right. Right. You know? and, and that was the early introduction to hospitality for me because, you know, I think in, intuitively I knew that if I delivered fantastic service to these members, that they mm. were going to reward me with their gratuities at age 15, 16. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, yeah. it came naturally for me, but obviously there was a connection between the service delivered and the gratuity received. So, you know, that all plays a part in hospitality today. Yeah, I love what you say in terms of, you know, intuitively you knew um, it gave you, there was an inner direction and it just came naturally and it started flowing from you. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I found for me, uh, though I might have had dreams elsewhere. I just knew this was something that I was particularly good at. And I always credit my mother for that because she imbued our house with uh, um, hospitality and, yeah. and just showed me the importance of the dinner table um, and what a how important it is to break bread together at the same time every day and to not only just enjoy that, but to participate in it as well. And from an early age, I found that I was deriving pleasure from, from giving pleasure to my family. So um, I love that you had that similar experience. And I think we find ourselves, um, you know, uh, at the forefront or getting promoted into leadership positions or getting promoted into the next level uh, when, when our employers can read that in us. Do you do any cooking on your own on the side? Yeah, I do. I do. I think what, one of the biggest pieces in my, uh, I'm not going to say career, I'm going to say my life is when, um, I, when, I, when I learned um, how to cut an onion. <laughs> and then once I learned how to properly do that, um, I learned how to roast a chicken and then make a chicken stock. And there was something so, uh, you know, fundamental, but, um, you know, it's something I hadn't understood until I actually did it. And when I did it, um, I, I knew I could be good at it. Not as good as my wife, but pretty good. Okay. Well, same here. I mean, I, I never actually... Well, I can't call myself a chef or a sous chef or anything like that, but we had wood-fired brick ovens uh, in our restaurants, and yeah. I found it very therapeutic when I owned these restaurants to get back there and cook pizzas, and this particular oven would hold 17 pies at a time, and you know there's hot spots and wood-burning ovens with a convection. Right. 
principle and all that. And you got to move really fast <laughs> not to burn those pizzas. But the kicker here, Hans, was it was right in the middle of the dining room floor and people are constantly watching because it's part of the show and they're asking questions. So you're trying oh. to interact with your guests while you're trying not to burn the pizzas. And it was a real balance. Yeah. So it, it was therapeutic for me. I enjoyed it, but it was also somewhat of an adrenaline rush to keep all the plates in the air, you know? Absolutely. That flow that we get into um, when we get on the floor, um, I don't think there's anything better. Uh, individually, um, you know, when I'm in that space and in that zone, it's just like, um, I feel like I, I can't do any wrong. I'm making people happy. I'm, I'm multitasking. Um, I'm thinking five steps ahead. Yes. Uh, what's been amazing is getting to um, be handed the baton, so to speak, and then to conduct the orchestra on a nightly basis and watching my team flow. And as good as it feels to be individually in the flow, collectively, when you're watching your team uh, hitting all the spots, um, boy, there's nothing better. It's a, it's a rush. And every day is different. How would you define your role and your primary responsibilities at Rosso Blue as director of hospitality? What exactly are you, you know, primarily responsible for? And, you know, at the end of the day, what do you say I'm really proud of? Um, leadership. That's, that's me. I'm the glue. Um, yeah. I'm the, uh, at this point, I'm the implementer. Uh, we, we have a vision. Uh, we get together uh, once a week um, with my partners and we work on the vision. We try and stay uh, above the business um, and uh, kind of working on the business while we're working in it, of course. Yes. Um, and then we're, we're just trying to see down the field a little bit, trying to keep our eyes up and, and looking for the next opportunity, the next challenge, the next issue. Um, and, and in that meantime, on the day-to-day, -day, uh, I'm, I'm implementing the vision. Um, I'm bringing the team together. I'm leading them. And, um, you know, the pre-shift is just so important that, that to me, that, that, that prep time between when my first servers arrive at about 3.30 until we start service at 5.30, I think those are the, most, the two most important hours um, of the whole entire service. It's just how we're going to lift off from there. And that pre-shift meeting is vital. I'm happy to hear you say that because I am a believer in daily pre-shifts, you know, as long as you spend time with the team and we talk about the challenges ahead and we talk about the theme of the night and what we really want to tell the customer and bring every customer's experience to life for them, whether they're first time visitors or the regulars. I mean, it's, you got to touch people in a personal way and you know, you're only as good as your team. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started in, in, in New York city and in the, in, uh, on a professional level, I, I had worked in San Francisco for a couple of years at, at a couple spots, but it wasn't until I got to New York City where uh, I saw that game get raised um, and felt that incredible, uh, uh, and I mean this in a positive way, pressure. Um, and, you know, we... They used to call them lineups back then, and I know some people still will refer to that meeting as a lineup. Um, and I consciously made a decision to, to call it a pre-shift meeting. Um, the lineup always seemed to me like they were lining us up against the wall to, to take us out one by one. You know, it had that kind of energy mm -hmm. uh, in the 90s, in the mid-90s, late 90s. Uh, it, it was kind of a hostile thing. And uh, I, I don't prescribe to that at all. You know, uh, we, we try to um, 
uh, give our team a, a great shot of positivity at that point. Um, we try to give them, you know, product knowledge with, with the wine and the cocktails and the food. Um, and, uh, but what I noticed in some really great Michelin starred restaurants is that uh, no one was talking about service. And so at Rosso Blue, I made it, um, you know, the, the, at the, the top of the funnel was to really talk about fundamentals and service and to talk uh, theory, philosophy, whatever it was, if I needed to tell a story, um, I'd tell a story, but whatever it is to bring that team together, wake them up and make, get them present to what we're about to do. You know, I want to get back into how you got to this current position. I want to sure. talk about some of the restaurants you've worked in. So keep that thought in mind. But right yeah. now, we're talking about staffing and the core elements that makes a team a team. Yeah. And the whole country is talking about this labor shortage and restaurants particularly having such a problem finding and keeping a great staff. It sounds to me like you've got low turnover and you've got a core group of people that share your philosophies and really deliver amazing experiences. Are you having any labor challenges right now? Uh, you know, no, I, I, I hear that and I, 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 I bristle at it. I, I, I hear that and I, um, I, I just say, well, where's the leadership? You know, it's, it's not incumbent upon uh, them as much as it's incumbent upon me to provide a beautiful place to work, a positive place to work, uh, lead them and show them. In my experience, um, Roger, it's been these skills that I've learned in the restaurant business have benefited me in my life, in my marriage, in, yeah, in every relationship, in my family relationship. I, they need to be shown that what they're doing on a nightly business is going to benefit them beyond restaurants and, and perhaps into their dream. You know, we're in Los Angeles. They have a lot of dreams. They want to be artists and writers and directors and actors. Right. And, and I tell them every single night that what you're doing here, this commitment to excellence, this, this integrity that you're showing, um, you know, this compassion that you're working with, uh, the, the work ethic that you're bringing on a nightly basis is only going to serve you. So if I can connect them to that, that purpose, and give them mastery and autonomy, then, then we're off to a great, great, great start. Yeah, we're on the same page about that. I mean, obviously, you're a leader by example, and that yeah. you develop and you nurture the team and you get the most out of people. And then there's certain recognition and rewards as well. Yeah. Let's, um, let's go back really quick uh, sure. to how you got to this position and some of the restaurants you've worked in and some of the key learnings along the um, career path that you followed. And then I want to dive into the whole staff thing. You know, your leadership example is really inspiring me. And I want to hear all about, you know, what you do in the trenches to move this team forward on a daily basis. But first, yeah. let's back to your trajectory. To the trajectory. Yeah, uh, I, had, I had been inspired uh, after working at Lucasfilm. Um, I, was, I was doing a lot of writing at the time um, and had an opportunity to get out to New York um, where I was studying... Um, uh, writing, playwriting, and um, I got into that whole world and that environment, and and it was amazing. And I was able to uh, rely on um, the restaurant business to to help me fulfill a dream. Um, that's something I impart upon you know the dreamers and um, who who I who work with me, as I let them know that the restaurant business is here to help them 
get to the next level. Um, and so uh, in New York, I was just, uh, again, um, uh, inspired by the professionalism and the pressure and uh, really felt like a rock star there. You know, I was, I was bartending, I was having a ton of fun and I was, and I was making money. And, and literally this place I worked at, it was like, hey, what we do here is we have fun and we make money. And, um, and that's what we did for, for a few years. Uh, when I got out to Los Angeles, um, it got a little bit quieter. Uh, I got to um, perhaps, uh, you know, slow it down a little bit and start to work at more elevated places. Um, and I got to work at, you know, Michelin starred restaurants, you know, three in a row, uh, Providence, um, Hatfields and Osteria Moza. What Providence, the, the, we did a month long training um, at Providence and the coolest thing happened, Roger, they came out and they gave me um, their training manual. And the first sentence was, we are going to create a world class restaurant. And when I read that sentence, something inside of me changed. Uh, it wasn't about being the best in the city. It wasn't about being, you know, the best in the country. It was trying to compete on a world-class level. And the leadership there um, was working like that every single day. And I just had a new experience with all those things. And um, it was incredible. Uh, Ultimately, I, I moved and, and started to work with a couple who I became very close with, uh, Karen and Quinn Hatfield. Um, Karen was a pastry chef, Quinn is the chef, and uh, they had a real rock star vision as well. But what I found working with them is that we shared a, a similar ethos and culture. And uh, that's why I worked with them for seven years, um, because we just thought alike and felt alike. And, and I think that's super important. You got to find your tribe, you know, and you got to click with them. And, and then I got to work with Nancy Silverton, um, who is just a dream, uh, an amazing person, amazing chef, super inspiring. And, and that, that road all along the way, I had been in touch or around uh, my current partners, Steve and Dina Sampson, uh, my wife had helped them open up their first restaurant. Um, we had uh, talked about perhaps working together. We could never get the timing right. And then divine right timing brought us all together and, and we haven't looked back since. And that was May 2017, we started working together. So it's two years now. Serendipity, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. That sounds awesome. And every part of your career has led to this moment, right? Mm. All the key learnings. And, you know, you mentioned the, the chemistry of staff and team, you know, that's, I call it the dream team. You know, we know yeah. when that clicks and yeah. when everyone's firing on all cylinders and everyone gets along so well together and it's a choreography literally among yeah. different positions within a restaurant where, yeah. you know, everyone can jump in and be, you know, pick up where someone else left, leaves off to give the guest a great experience. And that was certainly, you know, my experiences and how I trained my staff. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Let's talk about, I mean, Los Angeles is such a restaurant city. I mean, it's yeah. so hugely competitive and different neighborhoods, you know, stand out for having different types of cuisine and, and, you know, foodies will travel from neighborhood to neighborhood. So how do you, how do you continue to build and sustain a brand? And what is, you know, Rosso Blue's competitive advantage in such a heavily saturated restaurant city? Oh, that's such a great question. You know, um, 
It's, it's, you know, there's the, the, the basic table stakes of, um, you know, quality and, and, and service. Um, and from my point of view, uh, where we really started to make uh, a change is, is in our menu being so focused. You know, we, we didn't offer Italian food at large. We offered Bolognese cuisine because that was at the heart of what um, Chef wanted to um, execute. And with that specificity um, and with that caring, it was an interesting story. Um, Chef Steve put on this dish, Minestra Nel Sacco, which, you know, if you translate that, it's soup in a bag. Um, and it's the simplest dish. It's literally just this beautiful chicken broth with uh, uh, dumplings, uh, Parmigiano-Reggiano dumplings. Um, My favorite cheese, by the way. That is like candy. Yeah, exactly. And, I can and that cheese and it's like amazing. So I'm getting the I'm getting the feels and the sounds and the smells, right? And Just, the smells, exactly. Yeah. You can yeah. you can smell this dish and, and yeah. the way um they cook it is they cook it in this little um beautiful bag so that the um the the dumplings hold on to their integrity. They don't melt. It doesn't become this gooey mess. And and then as you present it, it's kind of beautiful too, because you release the dumplings from the bag and into the broth. And you do that in front of the guest. And so there's this interactive moment where the aromas are coming through. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a pretty simple dish. And I think uh, Steve was even like hemming and hawing whether to put this on the menu. But the vibrancy of the dish and the authenticity of the dish, um, at the time, Jonathan Gold, um, a Pulitzer Prize winning writer for the LA Times and the Food Critic, um, had this dish. And it became the centerpiece of our first LA Times review, which uh, he wrote that piece and, and we haven't looked back since. Uh, you know, the, the press can, especially a guy like that, can, can really change the game for you. And so um, he wrote about this one specific dish um, and it was a game changer for us. So I think that focus of that dish, um, you know, that hook, um, and then for us, that hospitality that would be, you know, heartwarming, that would be authentic. It didn't have to be fancy. It just had to be genuine. Um, and, and then we had to define, you know, what, what great service meant to us. And then we put together what I call a relationship and sales process. Um, and it really starts with just being prompt. Man, when they sit down, you got to be there. <laughs> you can't even give them 10 seconds. It's got to be, you got to be right there. You know, well, I believe, you know, the restaurant business is show business. And when the front door opens for business, it's like the curtain going up and everyone's an actor and actress on stage, you know, yeah. especially yeah. in Los Angeles, where your staff want to be writers and creative people. But, you know, it, train your staff to be entertainers, yeah. inform yeah. and entertain. But everybody's on stage when that curtain goes up. Yeah. And, and I love that. And it was interesting. There was an early part in our development where we're, we're in the fashion district in downtown. Um, and uh, we're kind of, you know, it's City Market South is, is the venue in which we are um, living. Um, it's, it's kind of pioneering. There's a, a thing called the Arts District, which is really taken off. And everybody loves to go to the Arts District. But we're, we're in the garment district or the fashion district, it's up and coming. So people are just learning um, this space. People are coming downtown. They've never been here before. They have to drive through a little bit of Skid Row to get to where we're at. Um, 
And, and sometimes, you know, traffic won't be as bad as everybody says it is in LA and they'll get there a little bit early. And we had early on, we found some guests who would come a half hour before we'd actually quote unquote opened, you know, our doors open at 5.30. But once we started, the guests started coming, uh, Steve just said to me, we can't have them waiting out there. We got to bring them in. And I was like, absolutely. And that, that was a real defining moment for our restaurant. Uh, I had worked in a beautiful restaurant before where we really did this um, almost theatrical thing where we would open the door and we'd all be standing there greeting the guests. And it was, uh, it was wonderful. It was, it was dynamic and theatrical. But with us, what we decided to do is, hey, our doors are always open. You know, even if we're still doing our pre-shift, we open those doors. You can come in. You can come behind the scenes. You can sit in with us if you want to hear what we're talking about. But we make sure that our doors are always open. If guests come early, you know, we'll get the bartender behind the bar. We'll get them a glass of wine. We, We never want our guests to never feel like they can walk into our restaurant, which is different. You know, it was a different, it was a it was a catalyst for, for what our hospitality was going to be about at Rosa Blue. Well, that's the very first impression of yes. your organization with a customer who may be coming in for the very first time and you welcome them in, even though you're not necessarily ready to rock and roll. And then you <laughs> sit them down and you, you give them an experience and they will never forget that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's funny, I won't belabor the point, but it's funny you mentioned the fashion district. When I was in Los Angeles, I was in the fashion business and we had a sales mm. rep at Calmart that represented our line and we sold clothing on a national basis for a couple of years and oh, we would wow. source our fabrics and our materials and different things within the neighborhood that you're in. So yeah. I'm really familiar with that. Oh, cool, cool. Well, you're gonna have to, bring that up. You're going to have to come home and you're going to have to, to yeah. see us when you're in town been a couple of years. So let's talk. We, we sort of touched on the training philosophies and the importance of the pre-shift. You have obviously, well, let me back up. Why don't we walk through a new front of house hire for Rosso yeah. Blue? And yeah. how do you onboard them? And how do you get them into the culture and you know the, just immerse them in what you're all about and, and just get them up to speed? Do they shadow veterans? Uh, do they work with numerous different people? Is there any significant formal training? And then they're in the pre-shifts every single day. I mean, take me through the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, from the start, it's, it's sitting down with them and, and asking a question like, um, what are you passionate about? And, and that's, I, I get so much out of that question. What are you passionate about? Because you see their eyes light up or they don't light up or they don't have something that they're passionate about. And if they don't have something that they're passionate about, then it's, it's not going to be a real great fit for, for yeah. me. I often, I, I love to hear somebody who's passionate um, uh, about, you know, getting better and about learning. Um, I also love somebody who's played team sports. I think you, you have to understand the team concept. As much as it's popular to say, hey, we're like family around here, uh, I'll tell you what, we're a team, you know, and that's the way we work. We work as a team. So I love to get um, a guy, I, I, I hired a guy recently who, who played a lot of um, uh, soccer. And, um, and then he brought in his buddy who uh, played soccer. They were on the same team. And I needed two guys. I was like, fantastic. These guys know how to move together. They know, you know, this guy's a midfielder uh, and this guy's a center. These guys are going to be fantastic, you know, and they were, they ended up being fantastic and they're still working with me. Um, 
Yeah, then, then it's a matter of coming in and what I like to find out is how people learn. Um, I had one guy come in who got really nervous. It can be disorienting, especially, you know, on a, on a busy night and things are moving around and he'd only worked in small restaurants and he just looked confused. And I just said, okay, let, let's get you running food. Um, let's have you just learn the floor and then start running food. And he'd been an athlete, a football player. And once he started kinetically connecting to the space and moving around, by the end of the night, his eyes were just lit up. And he's like, I get it. I can do this now. Um, some people are going to be like me. I, I like to read things. That's how I learn. I, I, I love to read. I love to write. Um, uh, so I, I have to understand their learning process. And so the first night really is about just getting them in the space, trying to get to know, are, are you a kinetic learner? Are you a, a visual learner? Do you need to taste things in order to understand them? And those, those are the questions that we'll, we'll, um, we'll address at the end of that shift. And after that, then I'll have a more clear design on where I need to put them. But I, I always love to have them hang out behind the bar for a couple hours. I like them to be at the host stand to feel that pressure. I think that's, a, that's one of my most important positions on the nightly basis is at that mater d' and host stand. What's happening there so often gets overlooked um, and undervalued and actually underpaid. You know, that's the first contact like we had talked before. And, and I have that person come in and answer, their, answer the phones because she needs to see the whole night through. And she needs to be answering that phone because every time that phone rings, you know, that's money coming. You better answer that phone. That's money coming through the line, right? Um, so I want to make sure that contact is, that, that touch point is um, super clear. And then the training process is a, a matter of, you know, some small quizzes and then a final exam that they need to take. I'll have them shadow a server um, in their third or fourth shift, depending on where they're at. But usually from a server, if, if they have, you know, some good background and good experience, which I like to hire for, um, more importantly, attitude. Uh, mm -hmm. If I get them to the, about the fifth shift, I'm giving them a small section with a lot of support and oversight from me personally. And then at a certain point, I love this. This always happens, Roger. There's a point where they'll look at me and they're like, get out of my way, old man. You know, I can do this. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And when, when they do that, I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh, no kidding. I love that. Yeah. Get out of their way. <laughs> exactly right. Awesome. Yeah. You know, you're, talk you're talking about, well, we were just talking about the hostess position or the host and how critically important that is. But that's like uh, air traffic control at LAX, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you got a million planes in the air, the phone's ringing. It's like you got right. guests walking through the door. You want to under promise and over deliver and not just yes. the opposite. Yeah. And then the communication piece is so important with the, all the entire rest of the team. Exactly, exactly. And what, what I, I had um, a chance, I, I, I went to New York, I had a, a great, great, went to a lot of great restaurants. Um, but I had this interesting experience a few times since we're, we're using so much technology. Uh, and we got our iPads and our phones and, and, and everybody's head was down. And no one was looking at me. I was coming into the restaurant. Hi, how are you? I'm Hans Lutman. I'm here for my reservation. No one would look up. They're like, Oh, okay. And then the, the host would never make eye contact with me and then take me to the table. And I, I, I came back and I said, you guys, we have to see people and we have to hear them. And so I made our host stand smaller. I, I, I cut the thing in about a third. 
I moved it. You know, I moved it because we we don't need all this room. We don't need an intimidating big desk. All we need is a mobile person with an iPad. But I want that person to be looking at the iPad. I want them to be looking 10 guests ahead. And I want them to be thinking like, well, the next three top that comes in, oh, that's probably Mr. Robinson. And so when they come in, you're ready. Oh, hi. Oh, I'm Mr. Robinson. Oh, Mr. Robinson. Great. We're here. Oh, yeah. And we know you're celebrating something. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's about being seen and heard. And that is the primary purpose of that position for me. Make sure you're seeing people. Make sure you're hearing them. Connect with them. And then bring them to the table. You know, it's not just a number. We're not herding cattle here. You know, these are people. And this is the first impression. Again, the first impression. But we're also talking about recognizing, you know, welcoming well-known guests, repeat business, that sort of thing, and anticipating when they're going to come in and being there to greet them. But I always had a pet peeve. I mean, there always had to be someone there at the podium to greet the guest. Yes. We had backup all the time so that no one ever walked into a restaurant wondering, okay, do I stand here? Do I seat myself? You know, like that. That is such a powerful impression. You have to have people that are all well-versed in the guest experience that are ready to greet. Yeah, I let them. I, I have her, for the most part, she, she gets to be pretty stationary and people will wheel in and help her to oh, see, you know, okay. she'll so guide. In a fixed position. Yeah, because I really want, um, I, when I see no one there, it feels like no one's driving the bus. It feels exactly. like somebody, you know, like the captain is not at the wheel. Um, right. So we, we try to, um, you know, help her out as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let me switch gears for a moment because you mentioned iPads and, and that sort of thing. But does Rosso Blue rely tremendously on technology for back of house, for online ordering, for all sorts of different things? Because there's an app for everything now in the hospitality yeah. business, isn't there? Yeah. And there are certain things that you have to have. And there are certain things that, you know, are just a novelty that aren't necessarily important. But, right. you know, technology every day moves forward and there's always something new to look at. How much yeah. uh, technology do you guys employ? Uh, well, I was, I was really grateful to go to a conference this year in New York called Tech Table. And uh, it's kind of this convergence point of technology, entrepreneurialism, and hospitality. And, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, great folks there. Union Square Hospitality Group was there. Um, yes. Kevin Bame from the Boca Group was there. Um, a lot of, um, you know, engineers um, and, and entrepreneurs thinking about what's next. Um, and I think you have to be connected to what's next. You have to be thinking about that. Um, we've upgraded our POS. We've, we've gone to Toast. We just feel like that's going to give us a great competitive um, advantage. And for our reservation platform, we've gone to uh, Resi. And, um, and we found a, a, an integration in both of them. Um, I'm not... Um, a tech savant. My, my partner, Dina, is. Uh, she loves that stuff. <laughs> She's always uh, mining that data, which is super important. Um, I'm a lot more old school, as is uh, yeah. Chef Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do uh, see the importance in it. It definitely, um, we, we get numbers out of there for our scorecard meeting. Every Friday, we have a scorecard meeting. Um, we get our leadership group together. We have a big whiteboard and we have all our KPIs, every single important number that we need to be tracking. 
and uh, we have a 30-minute meeting with those numbers. We see if they're on track or if they're off track. We ask ourselves why they're off track. Um, it's humbling, you know, <laughs> and we get a weekly report on where we are with our profitability. Fortunately, we've been very profitable for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're learning. We're, we're continuing to learn how can we get deeper and, and technology gives us access to those numbers and, and we have to use them. Okay, we've talked about service. There are three critical elements to any successful restaurant. As you know, the food, the service, and the ambiance, okay? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the food. How often does the menu change? And I'm sure the soup in a bag dish with the dumplings never goes off the menu. Exactly, that's never going off the menu. Um, it's a seasonal change, you know. Uh, okay. I, I, um, I was just reading about uh, kaiseki, which is this uh, Japanese format of um, uh, you know, shaping a uh, tasting menu. We don't do tasting menus, but they were talking about, uh, you know, some people see seasonality as four seasons. You know, they have these Japanese chefs who see uh, 72 uh, micro seasons throughout the year. And, you, and that's what's so beautiful about California. We, we go to the farmer's market every week and we go there and we just see you know, new things every week. It's, it's like, it's not just spring. It's like the beginning of spring, you know, it's like yeah. the second month of spring, different citrus. So we're in this abundant, beautiful, bountiful place for produce. And uh, we definitely take advantage of that. So there'll be micro changes in the menu to reflect that. Um, you know, we have a, uh, a sfolino or a pastaiolo, Francesco Allegro, this guy makes pasta for us and, yeah. and he's always experimenting and, and creating. And um, so we'll make changes there. Chef Steve's really interested in um, uh, providing a, a specials menu every single night. So we'll have a special pasta, a special app. Uh, we want to keep it fresh. So that, that's not only good for our guests, but it's good for us, you know, because we're challenging ourselves and inspiring ourselves to get to the next level. This uh, Spolino that we brought in, Francesco Allegro, uh, we, we brought him over from Bologna and he makes all of our pasta by hand. Um, and he arrived on a Friday night when we were opening in the restaurant, um, uh, about a month after we had opened. And he arrived on a Friday night at LAX. He calls, calls us up, he says, hey, I'm here. And it was 10 p.m. and we said, Francesco, fantastic. Um, we're glad you're here. Come in Monday morning. We'll get together. We'll, we'll show you what's going on. He's like, no, 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 I'm coming now. So he got in an Uber and he came and at 11 o'clock, he started making pasta in the restaurant. And awesome. he, he turned around to me and he just said, you know, I just wanted to know what the eggs felt like because he'd never felt eggs in America. <laughs> and he needed to know what these felt like. And that was such a pivotal moment for us because uh, passion. Man, yeah. when you see somebody's passion like that, and if you can get that into 80% of your staff, uh, boy, you know, you can start to, to, to make waves with that kind of passion. We're going to talk about marketing in a moment, but that sounds to me like an ideal marketing campaign to share these stories, these nuggets of information. That's right passion that runs throughout Rosso Blue. You know? That's right. That's I mean, we've right. talked about a few and I'm sure there's lots more and that is so interesting to your clientele and to prospective customers yes. of the restaurant. Yes. Yeah. I mean, another great opportunity is we are, it's the original wholesale produce market there in the fashion district. That's where we are. 
yeah. this building edifice that we are in housed produce for decades. The farmers would come, they would bring their, their vegetables and their, the labor and the intensity. And, and that spirit is still in the building. You know, um, I feel it every day I go in there. There's something else that we're serving, you know, not just ourselves. There's a spirit that we're serving. And that's one thing that I take our um, new hires through. I, I tell them that story because yeah. they need to know that there's a, a bigger purpose going on here and that we're blessed to be in this property and to inherit this legacy of food and farming. Um, it's an exciting place to be in. And that's a, a story that I get to tell the guests almost every night. I give them a tour. I bring them downstairs. I show them where Francesco makes the pasta. Um, you know, he's usually down there listening to a little bit of music. He's, he's charming. He's wonderful. It's a great story. We also have our private dining room down there. Um, so we get to sell that too. Um, it's, it's, it's really great. It's That's really powerful. great. That's magic. You, what you yeah. just said to me is like absolute. It's the 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 spirit is alive within your space. That's and right. Generations of that spirit, That's right? right? Yeah, exactly. Generations of spirit. You know? Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. How's yeah? How's Francesco's transition from Bologna to L.A., the big city? How's that oh, go? He's 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 a rock star. This guy's a rock star. This guy should be on this podcast. Um, he he is. Uh, multi-talented, gifted. He's a musician. Um, he speaks, uh, I think, four or five languages, um, including um, dialects in Italy. Uh, he just is, he's, he's kind of a man of the world. So his transition into um, Los Angeles has been uh, seamless. You know, he, he just really fits in and, and, and he's um, super creative. And he, he brings that spark for us. I guess I'd call him a Renaissance man from the country that brought us the Renaissance. <laughs> exactly. Well done. Yes. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, love, I love these stories. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about ambiance, that third yeah. element. And obviously, yeah. well, let me start. I always believe the very first impression of a restaurant is before you actually arrive at the restaurant, because so many people are going to go to your website. And mm -hmm. I was on the Rosso Blue website and it brought the whole spirit and, and, and it communicated to me so much about what your restaurant is about, both the food, the service, the ambiance. I got that from the website. That was fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, obviously heavily influenced by Bologna yes. and the Emilia Romagna region right. and, and all that sort of thing. And you've got an outdoor piazza. Yes. Yeah, right? we, we do. Uh, we've at, got at night you know, uh, lights and yeah. I think that that was the, the first thing that sparked um, Chef Steve when he saw that piazza. I think he, that's when, when the vision started to form. You know, he grew up going to um, Bologna in the summertime uh, with his family. Um, and they have these things in the summertime called festas. Um, yes. And they're open tent fairs. Mm -hmm. And people come down and, and you know, the, the grandmothers, Cucina della Nona, they're bringing... Uh, the pasta they made fresh that day. Uh, people are making, you know, wood-fired grilled meats right, right on the spot. Uh, people are coming to share stories. Families are sitting together. Tables are being pulled together. And in terms of our ambiance, you know, uh, the design work and the interior design work um, by uh, the groups called Masa. Uh, it's um, Marwan El Said and his wife, Mies, 
and then another gentleman, J.P. Giuseppe, they helped put this together. But one cool thing they did with our tables is they kind of um, cut them in a certain way so they're not perfectly shaped rectangles. They actually have little grooves in them. And when you put them together, they, they piece together and they, they, they fit in a, in a unique way. And the spirit of that was, you know, hey, pull up a table and they'll fit, you know, like when you're in one of these festas or when you're, you know, you pull up the kids table and you assemble it, you know, right, we wanted right. that spirit. Um, also, uh, the interior was uh, inspired by a movement in Italy called Arte Povera and that you know, literally, you know, art of the poor. And it's about found objects. And it's about um, simple objects giving dynamic energy. Um, one of the things we found on the property, since this was the wholesale produce market, we found a, um, a push cart. And so what they ingeniously did is they took the handles from the push cart and they made them the, the um, front door handles. And so when you enter Rosso Blue, you actually touch one of these handles to open the door and you're, 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 you're moving back in time. You know, you're touching the pull cart that was used for decades to move fruit and vegetables around the property, you know. So here's um, another hook. And, yeah. and you were obviously well-versed in all these stories and you're personally walking guests through the restaurant and down to meet Francesco where he makes the pasta and all this right. stuff. I am certain, uh, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, I'm sure that your staff are also so well-versed in all of these hooks that they're telling customers about the significance of the door handles. I mean, yeah. all these things set you apart from the competition. Yeah, absolutely. We had a, a pivotal, pivotal moment um, yeah. about a year ago, and, and we recently did it again, where we had an all-hands meeting. And it's just bringing everybody in together, kind of state of the company type of thing. And we just share these stories um, and we share our, our core values. We share what we're about. We share where we're at, you know, um, and uh, uh, you know, that, that it's, it's uplifting, it's inspiring um, and it's truthful. And, and sometimes that's a, that can be a little bit painful, but we're, we're all going through it together. You know, pain is the touch point to growth and um, so it's, it's a great thing to do, um, you know, once a year. I wish we could do it a couple times a year, um, and maybe we will. Uh, but as a leadership group, we have an off-site uh, once a quarter. We, we get off-site, we get our leadership team together, and then we start to, to work. And let's find out where the issues are, and, and, and let's, let's improve. Continuous improvement in people. That's what it's all about. Wine is such a huge part of the Italian culture. Yeah, and I know that you specialize. You, Lambrusco is is special in in yeah. your restaurant. Do you have an extensive wine list? Is it limited to you know that region, uh, or is it throughout Italy? Do you offer different wines from throughout the country? Yeah, thank you, Roger. Thanks for 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 doing your research. I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, we at at first when we opened, we we had it um, really specific to the region. And we wanted to have the biggest uh, Lambrusco offering in the country. And, and we, we did for a time. Um, but what I needed to do was listen to the guest. And as I listened to the guest and heard what they wanted, we needed to open it up a little bit. We need to liberate ourselves from that, that hyper-focus 
Um, now we still pride ourselves on that. We still are looking for gems in that region. Um, we still um, accentuate the amazingness of Lambrusco. In fact, our outside piazza is called the Lambrusco Garden. Um, but we, we needed to, to open it up and celebrate things that were local, including Central Coast wines here in California, up in Santa Barbara. Um, there's, there's just so much opportunity and beautiful wines and beautiful winemakers, and we can travel there and we can taste. And, and so uh, that, that's what we've done in the past year. We've opened it up and uh, it's been exciting. You know, we're actually pouring Riesling right now and Gruner Veltliner. And um, we've even got um, uh, a Bordeaux on the wines by the glass list. And, um, you know, I always imagine myself coming from Ann Arbor, Michigan, you know, where, where I'm from and, and coming out to California and you're on the flight in, you're thinking about California, thinking about California wine. And then you get here and they offer me wine from where? Italy? I, you know, so I want to make sure that those guests are seen and heard as well. And um, it's been very successful. That's an intelligent wine list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. and I understand why you've made those decisions. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a process, you know, to, to get there. We, we needed to update our thinking. We needed to change our mindset. We even needed to make some personnel changes. Um, a lot of this stuff isn't uh, as easy as just turning on the lights. It, it just, sometimes you have to, to fight for what the guest wants. You know, sometimes we get stuck in what we think they want, but we, if we're really listening, um, we will hear new things and we have to stay listening. That's why I think it's just so important for business owners or for restaurant owners. And um, I mean, as you climb up the ladder, you start to find yourself out of the business. You're not there on the daily. You're not there to listen. I just think it's just so vital that all of my leadership team is in the restaurant and hearing the vibration of what the guests are saying to us. Because if you start to distance yourself too greatly from your guest, uh, you stop hearing and you start to concentrate too much on metrics rather than on values and culture. And um, so I think that's something that we need to keep doing. Absolutely. We were talking earlier about profitability and that plays yeah. such a huge part in restaurants. And that's such a balance between quality and really reaching profit on every single menu item. So is there yeah. a specific process that you follow when you change your menu seasonally? Um, is every single thing costed right down to the garnish? And we know exactly what our plate costs are. And we make sure that there's not a huge spread between an appetizer where one's contributing this profit and another's contributing that. And there's a big difference between them. I mean, this is all a science. And that's kind of what I was really focused on when I ran restaurants. Does yeah. that happen at Rosso Blue? And, and to what extent? It, it sure does. It sure does. We, we um, you know, we've, we've looked at ourselves and we, we know, uh, you know, through Strength Finder, we know who's good at, at what, you know. And we had this guy. It was amazing. We had this guy come in as to start to, to, to be a runner. Um, and he was obviously more than just good at running food. He, he actually, the more I talked to him, it, it became very clear that this guy is an engineer. He, he totally revolutionized our whole running department. Um, and as I, I started to connect with him more and more, he started showing me things that just weren't working. We ended up finding out that this guy is 
our best guy for inventory. We found out the way this guy thinks is, is so different than the way Steve and I think. Steve and I are feelers and we're people oriented, but what we found was the right tool for the right job. And it's this guy, Adrian, Adrian Silpan. He's amazing. So we put him on that task. And between him and my partner, Dina, they, they are so hyper-focused on food cost. Um, uh, and, and we bring that to light again every Friday. And they know it down to the penny. It's, it's extraordinary. And so important. To run and, you know, right. You know, I think it's just recognizing talent and then yeah. seeing... And then saying to yourself, like, uh, do you know, you have to do an inventory on yourself and say, like, you know, do I have the bandwidth for this right now? Who has the bandwidth for this? And not only who has the bandwidth, but who is the chops? I mean, I just don't think like that. So I needed a technician to get in there and do that. And um, that's, been, that's been a blessing. And it also humbling because you want to think that you're great at everything. And believe me, I've learned that I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the number one caveat in business is surround yourself with great people that are experts at what you're not and fill right? the team that way. And that's yeah. the dream team. But we're also talking about what I believe are the foundational fundamentals of a successful restaurant. I think yes. there are three. You've got the cost control and profit maximization piece. You've got yes. the staff development and training piece. And then you've got the marketing firepower. And all three of these things come together if you've done your, you know, your job and put the best people in those positions, then it's an unstoppable way of dominating your competition, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Very few yeah. operations operate that way to that extent where they've got every single area systemized. Yeah, we, we have been very blessed to, I mean, I call it a, a culture of attraction um, rather than promotion. We've just attracted amazing talent. Um, and I think it's because we, we want to do things differently. We've moved from, you know, Steve and I grew up in, in the 90s culture of restaurants, which was um, a really uh, challenging environment that was, I mean, just for example, there was just, when I was in New York, there was a real strong line, a divisive line between front of the house and the back of the house. Uh, there was a lot of resentment. And there was, you know, even fisticuffs, <laughs> you know. And so we, we don't have front of the house, back of the house. We have all house, you know. That's part of our culture. We, we, um, we have a service charge model where we, we charge 20% service charge on every um, bill or every yes. guest that comes in. Okay. And then we take that money and then we pay out our labor through that. So we don't have tipping. Um, that, that doesn't exist. And... Um, and, and it's great to have um, professional servers who don't feel like they have to tap dance for their money. Um, we're paying them. The guests aren't paying them. That's a challenging model, though. I can tell yeah. you that. Yeah, I want to talk about that because this is a controversial topic. I think yeah. if, if I'm incorrect in saying so, please correct me. But I think Danny Meyer came up with this whole no tipping concept a few years ago, and he yeah. implemented it. Now, other restaurants are, are wondering, does it make sense? Because once you try something, you never know what the reaction of the customer is going to be. That's you right. don't know if it's going to work or it's not going to work. Right. But with that said, Hans, I also want to mention, I travel frequently across yeah. the country, eat out in a wide variety of restaurants. And unfortunately, I see a lot of service personnel that have that sense of entitlement where yeah. regardless of the service provided, they expect, you know, a 20% tip. Yeah. 
And that's a challenge unto itself. And that's, a, again, a function of leadership, like you mentioned, and training. But that's right. Mindset comes from people are just going through the motions, but people should give me 20% regardless. Right, you know? right, right, right. right. At, at that, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing thing. You know, we, we, we have to message it. We message it strongly, you know, even when we're, we're, we, it's on the menu that this is what we do. Uh, we have it messaged when we present the bill. There's, there's something that the guest reads about why we do it this way. Uh, we have the server let them know, hey, the service charge is already included. Um, if that's okay with you, because we can always take it off if it isn't. Um, we're lucky to be in Los Angeles. We're lucky to be in a space that where people are very, uh, they have, for, I'd say 95% of people are supportive. They're embracing it. They see it as the future. I think what Danny Myers experience was, um, he had had a, a new CEO, COO come in yeah. and she had run the numbers and she saw that this was the future and this was the way to go. Um, and there are times, Roger, when we're on this track where it really feels great. We really feel like we're groundbreaking and this is the future. And then you'll hit a wall. And, um, and, and what I have done when I do hit the wall is I reach out to like-minded people who are doing this kind of thing to, to find community, um, to talk to them about their pain points, um, to talk to them about ways of innovating and um, that's been very satisfying and rewarding, um, but we're committed to it and, and we keep going through it. And, and there's, again, th what's great about this business is there's, there's nobody to blame. You know, it's, it's all about taking ownership and accountability and finding your way through it with leadership and vision. Yeah, I mean, it's not a static business by any chance. It's all dynamic every <laughs> single day. And you're either right. continuing to experiment and innovate and move forward or you're dead in the water. And I love that. Kind of right over you. Yeah, and it's not, you know, one of the things that I've learned is as much as I, my mind wants it to be left to right, sequential, um, it's not, it's so... Um, it's like you're in a matrix. It's like it's all happening at once. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you feel like, hey, if once, once I get this figured out and I get to December, uh, it's going to be gravy after that. But then something else comes in. You know, it's, it continues to be dynamic. And, you know, I, as, a, as an owner and a partner um, and as a director of hospitality, I have to continue to stay humble to the fact that this business is alive and it's a day-to-day -day changing evolving thing and and there's beauty in that if i can surrender to it okay so as owner partner and director of hospitality of rosso blue tell me what you find to be the biggest challenges in running successful restaurants um i think you know uh burnout i think is a real thing um, I, uh, probably about a year in, I, I hit the wall. I, I, I hit a wall in a way that I, I'd never felt before. Yeah. And, um, I took a big deep breath and I remember my solution was, uh, well, work harder, you know? <laughs> and so I thought that maybe by doubling down, I could get through it. And I worked harder for the next couple of months and I didn't get through it. And, um, 
you know, I, I think my partner Dina's hit the wall a couple times too, and, and we've had to just be honest about it and support one another and, and yeah. just say, hey, you know, take a, take a little break or slow it down or find new ways of working. Um, and we've had to do that. That's one of the big challenges. I think um, uh, showing up for your team uh, every day with consistency um, and being the very best version of yourself, I think uh, that's super challenging. You know, there, there's points in the process where you think if you force your will, you'll get what you want. And um, I, I don't necessarily see that working. I think you have to continue to be humble. Uh, you have to show up in a positive light for your team. Um, and no one wants to be. Um, managed or micromanaged they want to be directed toward the light and so i think that that's what i try to do every single day is just try and get in there and sometimes i'm not feeling it but uh i find a spark i have to i have to self-manage to find the spark to to be a leader who can uplift rather than someone who can just manage you into something you know the business is all consuming hans as you know yeah. And it's so easy to get too close to our operation, meaning yeah. you miss and you miss seeing what the customer sees. That's right. 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 And I, I kept that philosophy in mind for two decades. And I always trained my staff to think and act like owners, to treat everything as yes. if you had to pay for it. And more importantly, to notice, walk through the front door every day with a customer's set of eyes and wow. What you see is broken. And yeah. we created like battle stations inside the restaurant where everyone was responsible for a certain area, making sure that every single thing was dialed. Oh, but everybody collectively it. walked through the front door as if they were the customer seeing things for the first time. I and that way, very little ever got missed. Yeah. Do you ever find that you get too close to the business and you can't maintain that step back, fresh perspective? Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I find that, um, you know, I've been, I've been very lucky in the last, um, well, since February, I was able to um, uh, promote one of our star servers um, to become now a, a, a star um, hospitality, you know, junior director. Um, and she's doing a great job. And, and in terms of placement, where I positioned her liftoff point was ex kind of exactly what you're talking about. I, I wanted her to own a station, um, uh, the maitre d' stand, in a sense. I wanted her to own that and to oversee uh, our reservation process along with our lead hostess. Um, and, and getting her involved in that process liberated me to get a better perspective. Um, and then you find another rabbit hole to go down, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I love what you're saying is to create those battle stations and to come in every day with new eyes um, and see things. And um, I'm, I'm getting to do that. And I, I've honestly, where I need to do, Roger, is, is kind of learn a new way of working for myself. Um, I was so into the day to the day to day of opening the store, closing the store. It became my routine. I see everything. Um, it becomes very, uh, as, as hard as it is, it becomes very comfortable. And um, it's, you, you need to start letting things go. Um, and so I've learned a lot about letting go. Um, and, and I have to continue to, to do that in a, in a very smart way. Um, 
and I'm learning how to do that. Well, now we're talking about delegation and empowerment. Yes, exactly. Do you believe in empowering your staff to make something right on the fly for the customer without having to call you or another one of the management team over that sort of thing? I mean, your staff just, yeah, I got this. I'm fixing this. I know exactly how to solve this problem. I mean, yeah, I, I absolutely. From the beginning, you know, that in the moment um, intellect, you know, that in the moment intuitive right. feeling. Um, because it might not be about the fact that you missed the cold roasted vegetables or that was forgotten. It might be that the person didn't feel seen or heard. So how do we now make that person feel seen or heard? And I think you have to go deeper than just saying, uh, I'm sorry, or deeper than just, you know, then sending out the, the dish late. Um, you have to make an impact. They have to feel that you felt their pain. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I definitely entrust my service staff to make those decisions and then tell me what they did. And then we can review them later and just say, okay, well, do you think that was the right way to go? Nine out of 10 times, it was the right way to go. But I definitely want to have that, that talk at the end to go over it and then to see, um, you know, go through the value stream and figure out you know, where the mistake was made, how we can improve, how we can go forward. We've got to learn from this, you know? Absolutely true. I throw out all these mantras from time to time, and I've been always a big believer that a great meal won't save average service, but right. great service can save an average meal. Because again, this is the business, you're serving hundreds of people a day, and the element of human error is always going to be there, and sometimes things are going to go wrong. Not every single meal could possibly be perfect, right. but you want every customer to have that perfect experience. Right. So how you train the staff to make that decision, and the judgment that they use, and not only just feeling the pain, but how they actually make it right determines... Right the reviews you're going to get online and whether that customer tells a hundred friends about, well, this happened, but this is how they dealt with it, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and all of that leads to more of that affinity with your restaurant that I believe is so important and all important word of mouth. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Good stuff, right? Yeah. Great. It's great stuff. Absolutely. It's so much fun to talk about. I was going to ask you next what you find most gratifying about the business. And a second ago, you just gave me an example of promoting the superstar server, which was awesome. Uh, yeah. You have more gratifying moments that you can share? Yeah, it was super um, gratifying to promote Kyla. She had, she, it was something that she had wanted for a long time. And uh, she's doing just such an amazing job. And, and we're finding her strengths. You know, she's an innovator. Um, I, you know, one of, one of my greatest satisfaction, it's, it's always, it's, you know, around people, um, you know, it's, it's a, a guest wrote me a beautiful um, handwritten letter recently uh, about, uh, he's a regular, um, and he just pointed out that, you know, these are such divisive times, um, and, yeah. and, you know, uh, people taking sides and all the stuff you see on social media, and uh, he just felt like uh, Rosso Blue was a place that was beyond that and that we could all sit at the same table together. He's a poet and he wrote it so beautifully. Uh, it was incredibly touching. Another uh, immensely satisfying thing for me was a, a young man who came in in the interview process 
His head was down the entire time. Um, he, you know, couldn't look up from his shoes. He'd never worked in a restaurant before. Um, he, he loved uh, soccer. He, he loved, um, you know, his friends. Uh, he, he, it was almost in a weird way inappropriate, but he shared with me that his father was in jail. Um, and, yeah. but I saw something. I saw something in him. Um, I gave him an opportunity. Uh, he came in, uh, he probably broke a couple of plates and a couple of glasses and was so nervous, couldn't handle on anything. And uh, within, I'd say, uh, six weeks, he became our best back server. Um, there was something in this kid um, that I saw. And, and then I saw him be become great. And, and he's getting better and better. And, and that's so satisfying. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's an incredible feeling. It's, it's beautiful because, as you know, this business doesn't require a formal education. It requires passion and heart and, yeah. you know, all that sort of thing. And, and you can start at the very bottom in the dish pit. I, you know, my right. very first employee at age 15 started in the dish pit. And within three weeks, he was sending the credit card batch, closing the restaurant, three <laughs> setting the alarm, locking the doors. And then he just wanted to learn, Hans. Yeah. I sort of took him under my wing and mentored him and taught him as much as I knew as time allowed. He stayed with me 15 years and then opened his own restaurant, you know? Wow. And this, is, this wow. happens in this business. Right. That's so and cool. That's really a good story. I mean, and, and there's more of that spirit that, that yeah. just drives us forward every single day. Wow. I love it. What advice do you have, Hans, for independent operators out there to run you know, to run a successful restaurant above um, and beyond what we've covered already. Just, you yeah. know, strike you on the people that are listening to this podcast are general managers. They're restaurateurs with single units, maybe a couple of locations. A lot of them are struggling with a lot of the challenges that we face on a daily basis. They're spending way too many hours in the restaurant. They don't have any free time. There's lots of balls in the air and they're wondering why, you know, the bank account's not growing. I mean, so many problems in, in clients that, that I work with or just restaurants I talk to. How do we break through and break past all this? And what, what advice would you give to the independent everyday restaurateur? Mm, that's a great question. You know, one of the game changing things for us is we sequestered ourselves into a room, <clears throat> my partners and myself, mm -hmm. and we, we wrote out on a, on a whiteboard the qualities that we admired um, in our best staff in what we already had, we, we, we didn't want to go outside of the tribe. We, we just said, what do we got? What do we love about Carlos? Oh, he shows up, work ethic. What do we love about um, mm -hmm. Susanna? She's got compassion, you know. What do we love about, you know, leadership? And we wrote these things up on the board. Maybe there were about 25 or 30 of them. And then we, you know, you kill, cut, or combine. You, you, maybe not that, or this is kind of the empathy and compassion are kind of the same thing. We went through, we got it down, we distilled it down to four things, and we called those our core values. Once we had our core values in place, and then we had a big team meeting, and we let the team know about what we were all about. You know, are you in or are you out? And then as we started to reward, hire, fire, uh, around these core values, we started to all start rowing our boat in the same direction. 
everybody picked up an oar. You know, those people who were standing on the sideline who didn't know whether to sew the boat, saw the boat in half or, or grab an oar, all grabbed oars. And we just started pulling in the same direction. And we were able to find some people who just weren't going to be part of our mission. And we were able to let those people go. And we had to be brave enough yes. to let those people go. You have to have a lot of courage to stick to those core values. Um, that was defining for us. And then ever since then, uh, it's continuous improvement on a daily basis, on a shift by shift basis. How can I get better? For a server, it might be, how can I save 30 seconds today? Maybe if when I'm clearing the table, I'll pick up the check at the same time and I'll, you know, finding those little things to continuously improve. And then lastly, as you know, Roger, it's a people business, so it's all about your people. It's all about your team. It's taking care of them so they can take care of your guests. I think that those are the things that, um, that I'm working on today. How do you recognize and reward your people for outstanding performance going above and beyond, really setting that example for the other members of the team? And is that an ongoing process? Uh, it is an ongoing process. You know, there's, there's so many touch points. I think, like, it's funny. Um, when I send out the schedule uh, every week for my team, it's such an important touch point for me. It's not just like, hey, here's your schedule. It's like, hey, here's your schedule, and here's a video of Anthony Bourdain talking about Bologna. You know, there's, there's an opportunity in every exchange with your staff to give them a tip, you know. I, I often tell my staff to give the guests a tip, you know. It's not about them giving you a tip. Give them a tip. Tell them something that they didn't know about pasta. Tell them something they didn't know about this neighborhood. Tell, let them get to know you if they are a group that wants to know you. Um, you can find ways of giving. And so um, I think for me, you know, in, in giving uh, at that touch point with the schedule um, is a way, uh, you know, and in there, if I can recognize, you know, uh, the VIP, or not the VIP, the, the MVP of the week, you know, and just give them a little shout out. That feels good. Um, I love to have one-on-ones. I love to, to um, you know, do a performance assessment uh, every quarter with my team and see where they are and see the progress, you know. And we've been able to um, prom- uh, get everybody up to a living wage in the restaurant. Um, you know, those are, those are rewards for the team and rewards for the individual. Definitely. That's gratifying as well. Yeah, right? It's cool. Tremendous. Tremendous. Have we missed anything, Hans? Is there anything else that we should talk about that we haven't covered? Ah, boy. I think we've covered a a lot, you know. I I think the the one thing um, for all of us to know in in this industry and in this community is, you know, uh, again, there is no them out there it's it's only us you know uh, oftentimes everybody's like oh those guys that people you know them them and or they they didn't do it right it's it's no it's it's us we're, we're all in this together we can we can make an impact in this industry in our culture uh we can make an impact with the restaurant industry and show people how it can be done how we can work together and thrive together and be humble and make an impact on people's lives you know food is so important and vital um Definitely. you know it brings so, world cultures together yeah 
Exactly. Bring, bring these families together. Bring these. I, I, I love, you know, one of the finishing touches I think is so important is when guests are really enjoying themselves to give them my, my business card and to let them know that they can call me. My personal emails on there, my personal phone numbers on there. Um, uh, but I, I especially love to do it for um, young people who are maybe in their 20s, who've never been given a business card before, who I can tell are like me when I was that age. Man, I fell in love with restaurants at that age. I was in New York City at 22 or 23, and I had incredible experiences at Jean Georges or Boulet or, Yes. They're life changing. And, yeah. and if I can get those young people to come back uh, a month later with their parents, or if they come back for an anniversary or a, a friends, you know, it's, that's super gratifying and super cool. You're bringing me back. I was in college and I, I just remember being with some fraternity brothers and going to the Four Seasons for the first time in college. And that. Right. That, that had such an eye-opening uh, impact on my future. Little did I know it at the time, but all these are pivotal, you know, influences that, that make you who you are. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. Awesome. It's been yeah. a wonderful conversation, Hans. I think what you said earlier, this, these are divisive times and every single day on the news is, is a big controversy, but this is an opportunity when we walk into a restaurant where we can you know, put all that aside and just break bread together. And that's really what, what, it, what the business is about. You know, regardless of our individual beliefs or who we follow or who we support, it's like, leave all that behind and just be, be a culture that, that yeah. is good food and good wine and good experiences with great people. Amen, brother. I love it. I love it. I so appreciate our conversation, Hans. It was wonderful having you on the show today. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. I really appreciate your time and caring. It was amazing. Thanks again. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we'll see you again in the next episode. Thanks for watching and listening. Wow. What a soul-stirring conversation that I had with Hans Lutman of the San Julian Restaurant Group, right? That is the true spirit and soul of a restaurateur. We all want to run really effective enterprises, and it all comes down to the foundation of your business, your people, and training is at the very, very bottom foundation of building your business, and everything stems from that. We talked today about cost controls and profit maximization, the importance of leading by example and developing your team so that they give amazing experiences to your customers. We talked about the critical importance of finances and really dialing in your numbers. All these things are systems to help you run a more effective, more profitable enterprise. If you're looking for restaurant systems to help you do the same, check out restaurantrockstars.com. We have all the tools there that are completely turnkey that'll help put those systems in place in your restaurant. And we really appreciate your listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes and tell other operators that you know to listen so that they can share the love and the magic as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.